2: St. Louis and surrounding areas, you are listening to another edition of At Your Service, which of course you hear every weeknight. Right here on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX, Dave Simons filling in tonight. Hello, everybody. Certified financial planner by day and the occasional fill-in guest host by night. And it's very interesting how many times that I am asked to fill in at some point during a day, which, by the way, doesn't happen all that often. But I can't tell you how often it occurs when something breaks at the last second. Uh, And no, I'm not talking about like accidentally breaking something in my car or stepping out and uh, breaking a bone or anything like that. No, I'm talking about breaking news and not always at night. I was thinking about this and I'll get to the uh, news here in a second, if I'm sure you've heard uh, by now. Regarding Donald Trump. But, you know, it was just, I don't know, it was this summer, I think, and I was driving down here as a fill in guest host for At Your Service. And it was, again, related to Donald Trump, seems to be a frequent thing over the past year or two. And it happened to be the night that he was indicted in the classified documents case. And I thought, oh, shoot, I have. Got my entire two-hour show put together, and okay, well, we're going to do a little pivot here at the last second. So quickly texted John Hancock and Michael Kelly, and they were nice enough to call in, and we talked about that a little bit. But I started to think, how many times does this kind of thing happen? And like I said, not always at night. There was a time, and of course, this had to have been during a presidential year, and it would have been 2016, but I was filling in for Mark Reardon when he was over here during the day. He got stuck in some airport, if I remember. It might have even been snowing or something. Uh, It was in March, and I think it was like, where was he, Cleveland or something? Anyway, I got the call last second. Hey, Mark can't make the show. Uh, Would you have the availability to drive downtown to KMOX and fill in for a few hours. I'm like, um, okay, yeah, this this works. I don't have any meetings today. Drive down here. And on my way, I get a call. Uh, by the way, we've been trying to get him for a couple of days and we didn't think it was going to happen, but we've got Ted Cruz who's calling in. Really? All righty then. So last second, I get to uh, actually interview Cruz, who at the time was um, running for president. And I, I swear, there's no way that he would have seen this coming because he didn't know he was going to talk to somebody who was versed in the financial industry and economics. And he probably still never knew that he thought it would just be some regular radio host schlub of some sort. So I was grilled and pretty good on the economic issues of the day and what he would do as president. But one more for you. and I'm going to go way back. I, I could give you I'm telling you, dozens of things that happen at the last second when I'm asked to fill in, whether it's during the day or the evening. But this is the most dramatic. And I'm wondering, for people who work for CamoX for many years may remember this. This was at the old building. It might have been one of the first times I had ever filled in outside of my usual dollars and cents show on the weekends. Uh, This was a morning show, and it might have been about maybe... How many times have I actually... Guest hosted in a morning show on KWX, maybe three. I think you can count it on one hand. But the first time I ever did back in the two thousands at the old building, the original one down on Memorial, we had an earthquake live while I was on the air, and I'm sitting there. I don't even remember, of course, what I'm talking about, and which is true in most cases anyway. But the microphone is starting to shake. And I'm looking at it, and and as I'm trying to concentrate on whatever I'm talking about, I'm looking around the room to see if somebody is, like, shaking the table, and there's nobody, there's just a producer there. And then he looks at me, and I look at him, and we both are wide-eyed going, what in the world is going on? And I literally stopped and said, ladies and gentlemen, I actually think there's an earthquake going on right now in St. Louis. And it turned out that was the case. It made national news. It wasn't huge. There wasn't a great amount of damage. Many of you remember this. I don't recall the year. I think it was in the late 2000s, something like that. But it just goes to show it's really weird. I Maybe if there, there's ever, um, uh, I don't know, a vacuum of news, Camoex wants something to go on, they just call me. Hey, can you come down? And something's probably going to break at the last second. So in case you haven't heard, And this happened, again, right before I started to come down here. I have my two-hour show already, very heavy emphasis on what I do for a living because I think it's very appropriate to talk about the stock market right now. And I will get to that when we come back after the break. Um, But I'm quickly getting a bite to eat, and I check my phone, and it's got all this talk about Donald Trump not being allowed on the GOP primary ballot in Colorado. Like, what? So sure enough, you've probably heard the news right now, but late today, the Colorado Supreme Court has um, invoked the 14th Amendment, the third clause of the 14th Amendment, and said because he was behind the uh, January 6th insurrection, they invoked it and said, well, he's not fit. He cannot be president of the United States. Therefore, we here in Colorado will not allow him on the ballot. Now... That's obviously a big deal, but let's kind of put this in context to some degree. Number one, Colorado itself is not a major player in national politics, at least not right now. But I don't think we can dismiss it out of hand just because of that, because this has huge implications. And will other states look at this and go, hey, we might want to get in on that. Um, Number two, there is no question that this will go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court doesn't have to take all cases, and they don't. They will certainly take this case, and the way that the court is made up right now, you have to figure that there's a good chance that um, they'll kick it back and say no they'll they'll overturn that. But is that the end of it and i had and I really thought about this: What does someone like Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis think when they see this news? My first thought was. Oh, they're going to love this because this is kind of what they've been waiting for, right? They're just they're they they want to hang in there long enough to think that all of these things that Trump has been charged with, all of these potential court cases, he's going to get busted on one of them. That's what they're waiting for. And that's why I don't think you're going to see a lot of these guys, like Chris Christie even, not really wanting to bail yet and go, well, I don't have the votes yet. I think they're going to try to see this thing through as long as they can because of these impending cases. But then I changed my mind. You know what I, what I thought was quite the opposite, actually? Have you seen the polls, what happens after Trump is accused or charged with something? They go up on the GOP side. It's, it's incredible to me how that occurs, but it happens. It'll be interesting to see the first polls that come out to see if that occurs again. Maybe that's old news. Maybe that's worn out. Maybe he's got all the people he's ever going to get, and that's it. He still has a very big lead, of course, on the GOP side. I'm going to circle back to related to this on the latest New Hampshire poll, but I'm going to do that in the second hour. But I just wanted to get to that first, uh, just kind of funny how many times I host or fill in for these shows on X, and I've got to totally pivot and revamp and get to something else. So there's your breaking news. I don't know what it'll be the next time. I am filling in for three shows in January, so prepare yourselves. Something probably is going to happen big time in January. Okay, I'm going to totally put that aside. We're going to come back after the break and talk about something that probably many of you have more interest in, frankly, to talk about right now, and that is, wow, my investment accounts seem to be going up a lot these days, but will it continue? Let's talk about that. Dave Simons filling in tonight for At Your Service. We shall return. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced It is 818 in St. Louis at your service tonight, right here on Camo X. Dave Simons filling in. Hello there. All right. So I'm going to throw out a number for you. Kind of a big number. 708. 708. That's how many calendar days it took for the Dow Jones Industrial Average to get back and exceed its previous all-time high. So in early 2022, nearly two years ago, the Dow was hitting a high, along with the other major uh, benchmarks, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, all of them. And uh, then we know what happened in 22. We had a bear market and everything fell apart. 2023, it was okay, but it's really taken off here in the last couple of months. And the strength of the last couple of months has propelled the Dow back above its all-time high. It reached it a week ago Wednesday. The gap between the all-time highs of 708 calendar days or 488 trading days or business days, believe it or not, is the ninth longest gap in history between all-time highs. That surprised me when I was doing some research and looked at it because you wouldn't think, what, a little less than two years Keep in mind, the Dow Jones Industrial Average has been around since 1896. So, yeah, we've got um, a a pretty good sample size here, like 127 years. And this was the ninth longest gap in history. It shows you once again, my friends, not that we needed any more evidence, but I think a lot of people still need to be reminded that this is a long-term game and you stick with it. And the stock market has a century-plus history of going up and to the right. Up and to the right. Along with corrections and bear markets along the way, but up and to the right. Ninth longest in history. I hope in my lifetime we never approach the longest gap in history. It was a mere 24 and a half years. Over 9,100 days. Remember, this one was 708 days. This was over... The record is 9,100 plus. Um, Some of you are probably guessing when that was, the 1930s, into the 40s, and into the 50s. Yeah, the stock market, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which was the only benchmark for decades, the S&P didn't come along until the 1950s. But the Dow reached a peak in 1929, and then, of course, subsequently crashed. Then we had the Great Depression, and it was down so far. You know the Dow fell 89% from top to bottom? From 29 into the 30s, 89%. Can you imagine? No, don't even try. And yet, uh, and because it was down so far, it took so long to go back up. The Dow didn't get back to its 1929 high until 1954. Wow. Like I said, I really would prefer not to approach that record in my lifetime. So, like I said, it just goes to show, once again, number one, how you have to think long-term. And number two, how you cannot time these things. Very few high-priced analysts on Wall Street called the 2022 correction. I went back and looked because I save these things every year. And I looked at all the analysts out there, the major ones, the major financial firms, at the end of 21, so two years ago at this time. 2021 was a very strong year for the market. Everything was really looking good post-pandemic. You know, we had the initial, it really was a crash in in late February through March. The S&P fell 35% in five weeks back then. That was the biggest short-term crash in the history of the market. The market has never fallen that much in a short amount of time. But holy cow, did we make that back up because of all the stimulus money that went out there. That was the latter part of 20, all through 21. So all the analysts out there who make millions of dollars looked in their crystal ball and said the new year of 22 is going to be just as strong. And they were dead wrong. Not only did it not go up, but it was the first bear market that we had experienced since the Great Recession in 2008 and into 09. They got it wrong. So what were most of them predicting at the end of 22 or oh, more of the same? Because the Fed was still embarking on their rate hike cycle. There was no end in sight. No, very few people were convinced that inflation was going to come down to a reasonable level. There were all these things. The Russia-Ukraine war was still going hot and heavy. Of course, still is today. But as of a year ago, and just a lot of people were not feeling good about things. So they predicted, you know what, not only is the market probably going to have another down year in 23, that was the consensus, but these high-flying tech stocks of yesteryear, oh, my goodness, it's going to be really bad in 23. You you thought 22 was bad for these tech stocks? Look out, 23 is going to be similar to what we saw in 2002 where they just got absolutely decimated. Uh, Wrong. Here we are with just a couple of weeks left. And the NASDAQ, which is the high-flying index, has all the tech stocks in today's vernacular. It's really AI. The NASDAQ is up 43%. The NASDAQ has been around since 1971, so a little bit more than a half century. And this will go down as one of the best years in the history of the NASDAQ. And nobody, and I mean nobody, called it. There were a few bullish people. They were voices in the wilderness, but even the bullish voices out there did not see a 40% increase in the NASDAQ. It's really amazing when you think about it. Now, perhaps we should, borrowing a Larry David line here, we should maybe curb our enthusiasm just a little bit. In my 30 years experience in the business, one thing that you learn over time is when greed and giddiness start to overtake the market you might want to start acting a little bit more cautious and say you know now's not the time to mortgage the house now's not the time to buy on margin now's not the time to probably sell my safe stuff like cds and bonds and take a lot of cash and throw it blindly into the market it could work and no question and for long-term investors as i always say today is a great time to invest but there is so much enthusiasm that has resurfaced now. That it just gives me a little caution. Now, with that said, let me be very, very clear here. I do not think that we've got some big bear market in front of us. I don't think we're going to have some kind of major correction. The economic data continues to look positive enough to keep a floor under this market. But do we need to let a little air out? Yes. The market's getting a little ahead of itself. It's now trying to price to perfection what may happen next year. And I would prefer the market just take it easy here a little bit. That may not occur here in the next couple of weeks. And here's why taxes. You have a lot of folks who have huge embedded capital gains in non IRA and non 401k accounts, in what I call the taxable accounts, their joint accounts, whatever. Are they really going to sell and take huge profits with just a couple of weeks left in the year? No. They'll wait. And in January, okay, we're in a new tax year, starting anew. I can take a little off the top. And you may get some selling pressure due mainly to taxes. Now, that could be a decent opportunity if we get a a, a decent little correction to maybe add because – I am I am actually still pretty optimistic about the stock market here in 2024. I am. Now, take that for what it's worth. No analyst can ever, ever consistently get it right. I never will give anybody a specific number like you hear on Wall Street from these analysts saying, well, I think the S&P will... Um We'll finish the year next year at 51.24, which is a 7.6% increase. And I think GDP, economic growth, will be 3.1%. And I think interest rates will. And then you fill in the details. And they're always wrong time and time and time again. And guess what? They will be wrong again in 2024. And why do I know that they'll be wrong? Because once again, the consensus estimate is the same that it is every year, year in and year out. I take the general consensus estimate, all these different opinions, and I kind of bring them together and sort of come up with this median number, and it always invariably, year after year, comes into the upper single digits, somewhere in that 6 to 10% range, and it's happening again for the new year. Now, yes, you do have some outliers. Um, For example, Tom Lee, a fund strat, who is always bullish, and perhaps some of you know who Tom Lee is. He appears on all the business channels, and he's widely quoted because he makes everyone feel good. Hey, the market's going to go up. Well, it's crashing right now. Oh, but it'll go up tomorrow. That's just kind of his sunny disposition. Well, Tom Lee, once again, is predicting a double-digit increase for the market next year, but he's an outlier. Very well could be right. I have no idea. Then you have some folks like the technical analyst over at J.P. Morgan, who is predicting a correction, actually a bear market, of between 20 and 25% in just the first six months of the year. And then he thinks by summer of next year, the market can start to build and a new bull market can be born. Two disparate viewpoints from two highly intelligent people who just see the world in different ways. Should that mean anything to any of you? No. They don't know about your own goals and objectives. You know, back when I first started in the business, I would tell people who were really caught up in trying to time the market, and I would say, look, you can't time it, and what does it matter? And somebody would always invariably come up with some reason why they didn't want to invest. And a lot of times it would be like, well, quarterly earnings coming up. And I would say, you know what, what does... IBM's quarterly earnings have anything to do with you wanting to retire in seven years? What is the next earnings report from IBM or the estimates have anything to do with you wanting to educate your kids and putting money aside or having the proper will put together or looking at long-term care insurance or providing a, nothing that shows you how quaint that was and shows you how long ago when I Talk about IBM's quarterly earnings. Nobody really talks about IBM's earnings anymore. That was so yesteryear. Today, what I basically say is, who cares if an analyst says the market's going to go up 15% next year or down 20%. If you've got the proper plan put together, just remember what I said at the beginning of this segment. The stock market trends up and to the right over the course of time. And if you have a reasonable plan put together, it should be unpenetrable and unbreakable in the face of any type of a correction. We'll be right back.
0: After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor,
2: 835 in St. Louis. Dave Simons filling in at your service tonight. Welcome back, everybody. So um, back in late October, less than two months ago, do you realize the Dow was actually down for the year? That shows you how incredible this resurgence has been in the market. The S&P was up and the NASDAQ was already nicely up, but even the Dow now showing a really good uh, return how quickly this occurs. I said it earlier, but it bears repeating again because I don't think a lot of people really understand or they get the message or they talk a big game until the market turns south. And that is, when you invest in the market, do not treat it like a casino. Do not treat the market as a place to gamble or to play. You can for a portion of it. I have no problem. If anyone wants to take a small portion of their money and say, I'm going to take a flyer on something. I will do that occasionally knowing that if that little thing goes to zero, it really has no material impact on my long-term plan. And that's what it's all about. When you invest in the market, you have to know that at any time something can happen. There's risk. You have to manage that risk. I've always told people that I, I, I like the title of basically risk manager as much as I do as certified financial planner, because that's what, that's what we're really doing. You set up a plan, you set up goals and objectives based on every individual where they are in life, what their risk tolerance is, what they're trying to achieve. Do they need income, all of that stuff. And then it, it kind of spreads out from there to kids and grandkids and are their parents alive or they need to help out a brother or what, whatever the case may be. Are they charitably minded How do we do that in the most tax-efficient way possible? All that stuff comes in together, but nowhere in the equation ever, ever, ever should we then incorporate the question, what do you think the market's going to do in the next six months? It's immaterial, but a lot of people, man, make a good living on Wall Street providing that meaningless information to all of us, and it should be ignored because nobody, and I mean nobody, in late October saw this kind of a huge run-up in the market to this degree. Oh, maybe me a little bit. Can I pat myself on the back for a second? Again, I'm not a market timer, so I say this more out of entertainment purposes than anything else. But I do a weekly email commentary, as many of you know. Many of you perhaps get it. And back in In July, or actually it was August 4th, I still remember, it was the first Friday when my commentary goes out, first Friday in August, and the market had been doing well, had a good summer. And I said, I think we're going to get into the uh, seasonal part of the market. It looks a little toppy to me. I don't like the greed and giddiness that's coming back into the market. It wouldn't surprise me at all that the historic weakness that a lot of times we see August through October is going to hit this year. You just get that sense. You have enough experience, you kind of sense it. And that's exactly what happened. The market went down August, September, October. And then I wrote in in late October, it wouldn't surprise me now that the worst is behind us, that we are now getting into that seasonal time of year where the markets actually do pretty well. November really into March and April. And sure enough, now, no way did I see this kind of a run that we've had the last six weeks. Quite incredible. But I have made the point in those commentaries to say look, if we want this bull market to have any sustainability, we are going to have to see more participants. We cannot have the so called magnificent seven do all the heavy lifting. If you haven't heard, there are seven stocks as part of the SP 500. Virtually all of the gain up until recently has been done on the back of just seven names. And in their own way, all related to AI. You're talking about Microsoft, NVIDIA, Apple, Tesla, Amazon, Google, um, and Meta or Facebook. Those are the seven stocks on average up like 80 or 90 percent on average. Like Facebook has almost tripled meta. It's incredible. The rest of the market up until about a month ago was only up about 2%. At the time, the S&P was up close to 20. It's now up over 25 or around 25 year to date. But it was up close to 20 and the other 493 stocks taken as its own index was only up about 2% or 3%. Incredible. One of the biggest gaps you'll ever see. And I've been, I have been I was making the point you cannot have a bull market that has any legs without more of the components participating, and I 'm happy to say, here we are and something pretty incredible happened a week ago Monday that led me to believe that maybe this bull market can last a little bit longer. And it has to do with the point that I just made, more components participating and doing some of the heavy lifting as well. What happened a week ago Monday was this. The market was up. By itself, not an incredible feat. The S&P, the Dow, the NASDAQ, all higher. The Magnificent Seven, every one of those seven stocks Down. Wow, that's crazy talk. Doing a little research, realized that that has only happened two times in history. Where you have whatever the seven leading stocks are in any particular year. And the research that I did went back to like the 1980s. So this is not some hundred year thing, but it goes back over 30 years. And this was only the second time that when you pull out the seven best performing stocks, On any given day, those seven stocks were all down, and yet all the major benchmarks were up. That, my friends, is a good sign. I know it was only one day, but that has continued. Now, the NASDAQ has gone up, and so have those seven stocks again, but now you're starting to see more participants. Let me give you one more fact before we take a break, and that is the uh, index that gets no loving, doesn't get a lot of attention, and it's really underperformed the last number of years. In fact, in our little corner of the world at the Simons Cordes Wealth Management Group, we also have really underweighted small cap stocks. And the index that tracks small companies is known as the Russell 2000. The Russell 2000 has lagged their bigger brethren for a number of years now. Bigger brethren being the S&P 500. The Russell 2000, in October hit a 52 week low. Just 48 days later, maybe it was 58 days. I think it was 58 days. Hit a 52 week high. That is the quickest turn of any index, Dow, S&P, Nasdaq, you name it, of any index for, to go from a from a low to a high in just 58 days. That is another sign of more and broader participation. Let's continue to see that. And even if we do get some kind of corrective cycle at the turn of the, uh, of the calendar, which I think is, there's a decent chance of it, but stay tight, stay invested, good, solid plan that as long as this market stays broadened out based on those things that I just talked about, I, I, I think we actually, um, have something there. When we come back, folks, I, am um, going to continue on this, um, a little talk about the financial stuff, but I do have some other things we're going to get to some of it. Not so great. Like the American dream turning elusive. Have you seen that? And do you ever invest on principle? Do you stay out of certain things based on principle? Know that you could pay a price. And if you're okay with that, then fine. I'll give you my own personal experience investing in principle and how I, um, Well, I left a lot of money on the table, but I'm not sorry I did it. We'll be right back.
0: Live and local, this is St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX.
2: It is that time of year again, isn't it? Yeah, Christmas, all the music. It's even got that feel now with the uh, cold temperatures. 848 in St. Louis. Dave Simon's filling in at your service tonight. And once again, for what, the 30, would this be 35th year in a row? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, My wife and I will uh, head to her parents' house in a small town north of Wichita called Newton, Kansas. That has been the tradition. Um, When our kids were young, that's where we always went. That's where we celebrated Christmas. So, My family, which is a little bit more split, my family tree (laughs) kind of looks like the ivy on the Wrigley Field wall. That's my family tree. My wife's family tree is pretty simple. It's like, uh, yeah, there's the family in Kansas right there. So that was the tradition, and uh, we've just continued it even uh, with our kids being gone. Now, what's nice is even though the kids are out of the house and we've got one in a different state, they can come up from Texas, and that's going to be really cool. So looking forward uh, to that. Speaking of kids and little kids, so, let me go back to the beginning of of my career when when I would get clients saying, hey, I'd really like to buy, like, 10 shares for my five-year-old of something, you know, 100 shares for my grandkid, whatever it was, and I remember that, by far, the number one requested stock for kids was Disney. Everybody wanted Disney stock. Uh, Times have changed, right? Disney does not show up on that list anymore. But Disney was always a big one. And I remember Nike also. That That was kind of a big one as well. And there were a couple of others. Well, here's like a top five now here in 2023. And this is from a company called Greenlight. It's an investing app and they're geared toward families and young kids and all that. And buying a small amount of shares for, for little kids. So I'm going to read this in reverse five to one. I don't think the that numbers two through five would be of any great surprise because these are the big names now, and they're very tech-heavy. Number one may surprise you, and, and it surprised me. But then I thought, you know what? I kind of like that, actually. So anyway, number five, Microsoft. According to Greenlight, The most requested stock to buy in small shares for the little kids to just, hey, look, maybe this will get them interested in investing because that's really what it's all about. It's a great thing to do. Number four, Tesla. I don't think any great surprise there either. Three, Amazon. Number two is Apple. Definitely not a surprise. So again, in that order of two through five, you go Apple, Amazon, Tesla, Microsoft. By the way, notice that all are part of the aforementioned Magnificent Seven. Number one is not a stock. It's actually the S&P 500 index through an ETF, the Vanguard ETF, which uh, the symbol is VOO. And at first I thought, really? Usually what you do to get a kid interested is you, you, you want to buy a stock of a company that you can actually touch and see and feel and maybe you see commercials on it or maybe you own, you own a Tesla or you've got the Apple phone or something, right? You buy on Amazon, you see it, hey, this is how the stock market works. You actually own a piece of this and you try to explain how that works to a little one. How do you explain an S&P 500 index fund? There's no way they're going to understand any concept related to that. But I can see what the parents are doing. Like, I'm really going to try to teach my kid the value of long-term investing and how single stock risk you have to be very careful about. I'm sure you're not talking to your five-year-old like this, but I can see it in the back of the parent's mind, of course and saying that uh, this, is, this is how we're going to do things, and we'll invest in the S&P 500. So I actually like that. We, I have long said that if I were king for a day and I could change anything within the scope of what I do for a living, it, it, it's, it's so easy. Well, besides taking high commissions away from annuity sales, I would include that too. But outside of that, I would say that education, financial and investment education should be required more than it is today. Obviously we have to do math and English and science and history, and we do PE and all that stuff. Not saying we should take any of that away, but somehow some way we've got to include mandatory classes, even in elementary school. Think about this as much as I think you still have to learn American history and you have to learn how to do math and all that. Let's be honest. Is there any subject matter where all of us should really learn the basics of because we end up using it to our advantage later in life? Not really. So go ahead and learn it in elementary school and high school, but then maybe college, you kind of forget about it, whatever. There is no shortage of information that we need when it comes to knowing how to do a budget, know how mortgages work. Know how to invest, know what a Roth IRA is, know how to put money aside and know exactly what compounding returns actually mean. And then look at all kinds of things about you don't time the market, all that stuff. You ask most 25-year-olds, there are exceptions, of course, but you ask most 25-year-olds about this kind of stuff, they're like, what will they say? They'll admit, I don't know very much. If anything, I wish I knew more. What do a lot of them know? I'm going to go invest in Bitcoin. I'm going to buy some meme stock because my buddy's doing that. I just got the best financial advice I've ever seen in my life on TikTok. And that is absolutely, and of course, not doing. It is not helping these young investors at all. So again, if I were king for a day, I would incorporate Some kind of mandatory education in something that we will all need someday, all of us, and at a young age. If anyone wants a little bit more information on what I'm talking about and wants to dig a little bit deeper, I would encourage you to uh, go to the uh, podcast that I now do. And I'm talking about the video portion of it, which would be on YouTube. So I do, it's called Simons Says, S I M O N S, Simons Says. I'm so clever. And you'll know when you see it because it's got a little caricature of me, my bald head up there. I do two kinds, two types of podcasts. I do a long-form interview version of something that that those things last like an hour 15 to an hour 30. And typically, they have nothing to do with finance or investing or economics at all. They'll be off into politics. I've interviewed separately, like, for example, both John Hancock and Michael Kelly. I have brought Zip Razeppa on, and we just— did an, you know, this is your life kind of thing and went back to what even got him involved in sports and what made him the wacky guy that he is. I've had a uh, guest about an expert on AI. I've had a psychologist on to talk about panic attacks. I would encourage you to check out any of those things. But put that aside, I also do these shorter versions that I call quick hits. They're, they typically last 10 to 15 minutes in length. Seek out the one that I did about a month ago. And it's, it's something about Young Investors Amassing a Fortune. I think that's the title. And it will be really helpful for your teenagers and into your 20s to focus on what really matters, not chasing the hot stock, not chasing the cryptocurrency, but slowly, deliberately, and patiently putting money into something like a Roth IRA, just a few bucks at a time. And it's amazing that by the time someone gets into their 60s, that could be a million bucks. Check it out. We'll be right back for the second hour of At Your Service. Stay with us.
1: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today